Sisters and brothers, I hope that wherever you are, you're sitting down for this one. We're all about to open the scriptures and stare into a supernova. The only other scriptures that weigh this much, that can even compare to the binding of Isaac or the sacrifice of Isaac, tell of Jesus' crucifixion, his passion. There's even more here than words can capture, that sermons can capture. To preach this is to build a sandcastle at low tide. Even giants like John Calvin and Martin Luther struggled and approached, struggled with this text, approached Mount Moriah with awe and, and frustration. Calvin said, God's command and God's promise are in conflict. Luther says, this is God contradicting himself. Everyone here is vulnerable. Abraham is vulnerable. Already he's given up his entire past to God. Remember, God calls Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your father's house and your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you there a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great in order to bless the whole world. But now God calls on him to give up his future. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you, you can hear the flesh of Abraham's heart tearing with each phrase. Take your only son. Take your beloved son. Take your laughter. Take your last hope. Take your future. Take the future of the world. Take his life. You think Abraham is able to look Isaac in the eye when Isaac asks his father, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is vulnerable. He's had a happy childhood. He, he's seen the way that his parents, Sarah and Abraham, dote on him and adore him. He's, he catches them looking at him with adoration and, and joy and, and even still some disbelief. I can't believe God gave him to us. But why are we going up this mountain, Father, without an animal to sacrifice? You see, child sacrifice was common then, as it is now, just more overt then. Why is my father carrying a cleaver? Not just a knife, not a dagger, a butcher's knife. Father, if the Lord will provide a lamb, why are you binding my hands and my feet? Father, Father! Sarah is vulnerable. 
It's not clear if she's aware of these events in real time, but we do know that after these things, Abraham goes to live in Beersheba, while Sarah lives in Hebron. Either she saw or she intuited these things from a distance, or she finds out that Abraham has held a cleaver to Isaac's throat. What happens on Mount Moriah shatters their family, I waited a lifetime for him, you can hear Sarah saying in a quiet rage when she sees Abraham again. I carried him. I nursed him. I weaned him. And what would you have done? What would you have done if the angel had not stopped you? God. Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, God is vulnerable. The human beings God created in God's image for love, for cooperation, for mutual trust have not proven themselves to be trustworthy. God has already started over once with Noah, but Abraham's track record remains unproven. Abraham has demonstrated extraordinary faithfulness, to be sure. But he also has some ugly blots on his record. Remember Abraham, the coward, giving Sarah away to King Abimelech to save his own neck. Remember Abraham laughing at God's promise of a son? See, a couple weeks ago we heard Sarah's laughter, but that was merely a chortle. Just a little sneeze of a laugh. When Abraham first hears of the promise, Abraham falls on his face and laughs from deep in his lungs. God has promised to bless the world through Abraham. Can Abraham be trusted? God is vulnerable. And we... Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, God, we are vulnerable. Withering grass and fading flowers, all. We are vulnerable because we are mortal. Vulnerable, too, because we are sinners. And the utter mercy, dependent on the utter mercy and grace of God. We are vulnerable because we are American. And the pestilence has exposed our nation's Achilles heel. We are vulnerable because we are citizens on a a dying planet. Melting permafrost, bleached reeves, rising tides, snowless winters. If If you think all about all of these things at once, it's too much to bear. Don't do it. You'll melt. Just like reading this text. If you try to comprehend it all at once, your heart stops. It's almost too much to bear when we consider all the vulnerability that's brought to the surface by the binding of Isaac. And as vulnerable as we are, the more we've been taught to think that church is where we go to find convenient answers and security, the more we've been taught to think that everything happens for a reason or that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in Proverbs, by the way. 
It's not in the Bible. The more we expect our pastors and politicians, stock markets and uh, paychecks, our self-help books and prescriptions to wrap our lives in stability and tie up perfect bows of comfort around us, the more grotesque this passage becomes. But I I wonder if, as Charles Campbell also wonders and and said, if many people aren't deep down aching somehow for this grotesque gospel that moves beyond predictable patterns into perilous, paradoxical depths of life. In other words, this text really gets at the nuclear core, the earth's core of reality, about what's at stake with God's partnership with humanity. What's at stake with redemption, salvation, new creation, all of it. Maybe deep down, this, though this text frightens us and exposes all our vulnerabilities and gives us a picture of God and conflict with God's self, The gospel hides here in plain sight, just as it does at Golgotha. Because as descendants of Abraham, we know that even looking into this supernova of horror and mystery, God is with us and God will not let our future be obliterated. As the psalmist says, where can I go to to flee from your presence? Where can I go to hide from you, God? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I descend down into the depths, down to the dead, you are there. This text is so heavy and so impossible that it can be a faith killer. It can extinguish your faith as it has for many. What kind of God is this that God would ask something like this, that God would test some, someone like this. There are many atheists and agnostics for whom this text was the last straw. Just so this text can be a faith saver, as it has been for many Jews who survived the Holocaust. In mystery, they read this text and considered a God they could not understand and yet stepped out in trust to say, nevertheless, God, though I don't understand, I trust you. I trust you. You know, the faithful have questions about God that atheists will never know. Jesus Jesus helps us, takes us by the hand up Mount Moriah, actually as he walks alone up the Mount of Olives, 
and settles to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's said that the the olive trees that form a grove on the side of the mountain are so old that still today, the ones that are there today, and I've seen them and they looked old, they look so old, they look like they rose up out of the ground in Genesis. They look impossibly old. And the legend says that they overheard Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane when he said to God, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And I imagine when Jesus looked up from his prayer, he looked over at one of the green olive trees. And when he saw, unlike Abraham, who saw a lamb, who saw God's provision, when Jesus looked over to one of those green olive trees, he saw no lamb. And yet, Jesus says in his heart, Though I don't understand, I trust you. I trust you. Chagall shows Jesus carrying his cross in the top right corner, which you'll see in just a moment. And the red of his passion is pouring down from the cross on top of Abraham's head and down on to Isaac's feet. And we see Isaac in vulnerable yellow. And just to the left above Isaac's head, we see Sarah behind a green olive tree and a lamb of provision. And just above the green olive tree, we see the one who provides. Trust him. Trust him.